Hello and welcome to What's Next, a podcast where we explore the technology of tomorrow and what it means for us today. I'm your host, Ryan Lawler. From data breaches to phishing expeditions, hundreds of millions of user passwords are compromised every year. Centralized passwords make easy targets for hackers. Today, I'm speaking with George Avedisov about how his company, Hyper, is decentralizing credentials for true passwordless security. Welcome to What's Next, George. Thanks for having me, Ryan. So to start, uh, why don't you tell us what is Hyper? What do you do? So at Hyper, we're focused on solving the problem of mass breaches and credential reuse that happen because companies centralize passwords. So when you look at all the big breaches like Equifax, LinkedIn, Yahoo, the one thing that you'll notice is it's not how the hackers get in that's the same. It's that the hackers tend to go for their favorite target, which is the centralized credential store. And that's where millions of people's passwords and uh, personal data is stored in one place. And when centralized password breaches happen, people get impacted for years to come. And that's why we have so much fraud, and that's why millions of people get impacted by fraud. So at Hyper, we believe that by decentralizing credentials onto users' mobile devices, we can effectively remove the hacker's favorite target. We can stop credential reuse. Uh, we can eliminate fraud and phishing. And that's what our customers believe too. So big banks and enterprises like MasterCard, uh, they've deployed Hyper to millions of users. And we believe that true passwordless security is the next big trend in the cyber industry. Okay, cool. And how did you get started uh, solving this problem or why were you interested in it? Uh, so my background's in e-commerce. And when you're in online uh, payments or e-commerce or fintech or uh, anything that deals with digital money, uh, you come across fraud, sometimes uh, lots of it. So in e-commerce, you're always dealing with fraudulent purchases, um, stolen credit cards, account takeover. And you're always thinking about, you know, how do I prevent these things from happening or how do I catch them faster? During my time in the e-commerce industry, I was always thinking, you know, why hasn't this problem been solved? Why do we have so much fraud? And what could be done about it in the future? So when we started Hyper, uh, we had the vision that, you know, as companies deploy biometrics, uh, their users will have new ways to authenticate that weren't possible before. And that's how the idea for true passwordless security really got started. Right. So, Maybe we can talk about, you know, why this is such a big problem right now. Like, what are the things that are happening that makes password security, especially at enterprise scale, such a big deal? And why do we keep seeing such larger and larger data breaches seemingly like every couple of months? So I think there's a couple of trends. We've been storing passwords in one place for many years. And as enterprises have moved things to the cloud and continued down this trend of centralization, we've gotten accustomed to storing everything in one place. Unfortunately, that creates a single point of failure. So when hackers breach that target, millions of people are impacted and enterprises know this. So they want to prevent it. Another big trend is the rise of credential stuffing. So credential stuffing attacks have gotten really popular. Um, just this past year, there have been reports stating that banks pay up to uh, uh, 2000 per account takeover thanks to credential stuffing attacks. Uh, and what they are are brute force attacks by malicious hackers on an online service, trying out millions of people's passwords over and over again until they get in. And uh, we're constantly being 
you and I, our account, online accounts are constantly being attempted by malicious hackers. And it's those reused passwords that are effective in getting in. Human nature is to reuse passwords. Uh, I believe uh, analyst research report said there was approximately a 2% success rate on credential reuse. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're talking about billions of passwords over a couple of years, it is a lot. Right. And these trends have converged and basically caused enterprises to say, put passwordless security at the top of the shopping list. Let's do away with this problem right now. Right. I think a lot of people right now are thinking about personal password security and uh, how that works. But what are enterprises doing to try and protect against this? I mean, even before things like Hyper came along. So enterprises have tried educating the user um, on make your password stronger, make them longer. Um, we've seen companies go to 14 character alphanumeric passwords and complex passwords and phrases. Uh, unfortunately, that's not going to, that's not going to fly. Uh, the average human being can remember a seven digit alphanumeric number or phrase. It's very difficult for people to remember long complex passwords and that's why they reuse them. That's why they write them down. So I think enterprises have given up on telling the customer to, that this is their responsibility and have started to realize that it's the enterprise's responsibility to go passwordless. Uh, another trend is that for the past couple of years, enterprises have been deploying passwordless user experiences. You know, many times that's a passwordless user experience that makes it easier for you to log in, but the company's still storing your password somewhere. It still exists. So while it's easier to log in, the security isn't that much better than it was before. So what enterprises have realized is can't get the users to move away from passwords or you know create stronger passwords. Biometrics alone aren't going to solve this problem. We need to go true passwordless. We need to eliminate these passwords once and for all. And that's where we're at today. So how does your technology work? Um, and, and what are you offering to enterprises to solve this problem? So companies uh, integrate Hyper into their applications, uh, their mobile applications, their web applications, and you don't know that Hyper is there, but it's running under the hood, and it's enabling what we call true passwordless security. Uh, so our SDK is integrated into large banks' mobile apps, and when you go to log in, the app might say, hey, we've improved our login experience. Can you re-enroll or re-register? When you're doing that, Hyper is actually decentralizing your credentials onto your mobile device, securing them, and initiating what we call decentralized authentication. So for every login or every transaction moving forward, you're protected with true passwordless security. On the enterprise side, the enterprise deploys Hyper's validation server. Uh, and that's where the magic happens because now they no longer have to worry about storing your credentials centrally. That Hyper architecture ensures that they have true passwordless security. How does that actually work? Like if if they're not storing your password or credentials on the back end, like how do they know that it's you? So what's happened is, um, you know, companies like Samsung uh, have introduced phones capable of uh, biometrics or new types of authentication and capable of what we call decentralized authentication. And it's a term that describes a way of authenticating using a, a public-private key cryptography or PKI. We've had PKI authentication for many years. It's been around for a long time, but we've never used it at this scale to secure 
consumers. Uh, what was missing was the mobile phone. So just in the past 10 years, every, virtually every user of an online service has received a mobile phone capable of PKI authentication. And without getting too technical, what happens there is instead of using a password that's stored centrally to authenticate you, uh, the company is using a private key that's stored on your phone to authenticate you. They don't have that key. They don't have to worry about storing or securing that key. And it's securely stored on your mobile device. So that new um, trend of uh, using the mobile device for PKI or decentralized authentication is the missing link. Okay. So when, when we talk about biometrics, um, give some examples uh, for you know, what people might be able to use. Well, we've actually done some user studies uh, with some of our customers and we've seen preferred biometrics. We've seen trends. Uh, they're different from continent to continent and demographically. So um, people really prefer fingerprint. And I think that's due to the familiarity. Uh, in one study, we saw over 65% of users prefer fingerprint out of the five modalities that were tested. Uh, second place was facial recognition. I think people have really warmed up to face ID and like uh, facial recognition, such as, uh, uh, you know, the Samsung phones that have face scanning uh, built into them has really taken face recognition to the mainstream. Um, behind facial recognition, you'll see that people really like eye recognition. Uh, so you'll see some of the new Samsung phones even have iris and face baked right into them. And then you've got voice, you've got even palm scanning, you've got behavioral biometrics. Um, these are, I would say, in their earlier stages of adoption. Uh, they're very promising. But I think, you know, right now, if you just look at the mainstream, touch and face are really uh, leading the pack. Right. So when we talk about biometrics adoption, obviously, pretty much any new high-end device will come with some form of biometric login capabilities. Um, but on the adoption side of things, when we talk about consumers, like what's the actual take-up of those services? Just speaking from uh, user testing we've done with a lot of our customers, um, on the employee access side, they love it. Uh, they, you know, employees at an enterprise uh, hate entering 14 or 15 character alphanumeric passwords. Uh, they'd hate having to uh, reset them every 90 or 100 days or whatever. Um, it's, it's extremely inconvenient. And when you introduce biometrics into the enterprise, you get a very unanimous uh, adoption rate. Like they love it. Consumers vary based on demographic, I think. I think the general American public has been very receptive to biometrics. Initially, there was sort of this, you know, it's a little creepy or uh, where are my biometrics stored? But what people started to realize, and this is thanks to the phone manufacturers doing some great marketing, was that your biometrics are stored on your device. And in many cases, they're, they never leave that device. They're yours, which is an example of decentralized authentication. And people like that. Uh, so in the States, we've seen really high adoption rates. Overseas, it varies. Uh, we did a study, I think it was uh, in on the continent of Australia, where a number of um, users aged 18 to 35 did not like iris or eye recognition at all. Uh, whether this was um, something uh, about the perceived security, or maybe there's something cultural that they don't like, um, you know, using eye recognition, I don't know. But it's interesting to see how that differs from the U.S. 
Right. One of the concerns that you hear around biometrics and security is that, you know, you can change your password, but you can't change your fingerprint. You can't change what your face looks like. And so I'm curious how good anti-spoofing tech is around biometrics today. Um, and are people right to be concerned about these types of concerns? There's a lot of sensational media articles about, hey, we tricked your phone into thinking it's you, or hey, we we hacked the facial recognition on your phone or your computer. And it's like, wow, that, that's great. How'd you do that? You know, um, And they never really talk about the need to actually steal your device to achieve that. So yes, you can spoof biometrics. And I'm sure that even with anti-spoofing and uh, you know whatever uh, technologies are put in place, hackers will get a step ahead of it. They will figure it out. Uh, deep fake videos are going to definitely uh, get ahead of the biometric uh, scanning technologies. But it's important to remember most biometric sensors require you to use the actual device as well. You can't just take my face and log in and any given phone or any given computer. You have to first steal my phone and use my biometric. That is an exponentially more difficult attack than stealing my password. And I think that the media should be a little more honest about how complicated it is. You don't just do this remotely from the comfort of your own home. Right. So your B2B company, sell into enterprises, what types of companies do you work with today and how are they using Hyper? So yes, we are a B2B facing uh, solution. Um, our technology's primarily been deployed by large banks, payment providers, insurance companies, and financial institutions in general have been really uh, receptive to our technology because when money passes through an application and credential reuse can you know divert that money or you know steal it, there's a very easy quantifiable metric to credential reuse and fraud. It's very easy for a company to understand how much are we losing per user or per account takeover. Uh, so adopting a technology like Hyper or true passwordless security in general makes a, a very easy to understand ROI benefit for these companies. And it makes it very easy for them to show their executives that, hey, we solved a major problem. You know, we've improved the bottom line. And uh, this is a trend that I think is going to continue beyond the FIs. But today, primarily, you'll see hyper deployed across the big financial institutions. So when you talk about how much loss happens because of uh, these issues around enterprise security, like, do you have any numbers that yeah. you can share? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a few um, stories that companies have shared with us. Uh, one is a uh, large uh, Fortune 500 insurance provider who deployed Hyper to millions of consumers. And their story was really interesting because they had a password reset problem. And they were spending, you know, in some cases, $18, $20 per password reset. Now think about that. When you're talking about millions of people resetting their passwords every year, to spend millions of dollars in customer service on password resets, that's a nightmare. And this true passwordless approach helped them get away from that customer service headache. Uh, other companies have said that the cost of account takeover from credential stuffing, in some cases, it's an average of $1,500 to $2,000 per account fraud. So on average, when you look at a financial institution and the billions of dollars in fraud that they see every year, you're talking about a couple thousand dollars per account fraud on average. That's in, that's crazy. Um, so I think it makes a very justifiable ROI when they buy something like Hyper. 
Gotcha. And do you have any uh, data that you can share around reduction in those costs yeah. that you've been able to prove? So we've got some great case studies and success stories on our website, hyper.com, hypr.com. And, you know, we go into how companies have achieved their ROI goals and uh, what they did, what they deployed. Um, it, there's a really great um, set of use cases up there from password reset stories to individual account fraud takeover. Uh, one is particularly interesting where employees had to enter longer passwords and the enterprise quantified that they were spending, you know, across the enterprise thousands of hours a year, wasting thousands of hours a year on password entry. And when they reduced that, it was just, it was a great story to see that type of ROI come from employee productivity. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, being part of a large company, this is something that I feel where I get the notice every 90 days or whatever. Um, and in the 30 days leading up to the end date saying you should change your password and you get notified every day until you actually do it. And then you can't reuse a password. Or anything Don't you like love that? that? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, that's my favorite. So, I mean, this all sounds great, but what are the biggest challenges to adoption when you're talking to potential customers? Well, enterprises move slow. I think everyone knows that. If you've worked with B2B in the B2B space, you'll know that enterprises uh, move slow, not quite as slow as uh, the government, but close. And it's important to identify you know, which enterprises have the ability and the drive to move quickly. Uh, we've seen customers deploy Hyper to millions of users in just a couple of months. You know, that's unheard of in some fields of B2B enterprise sales and enterprise software. And there are others who take, you know, well over a year to deploy across their entire user base. And it's not often their fault. You know, their users need to update their apps. Their users, in some cases, have outdated phones. Uh, so I think that this is one of those trends that over the next, you know, couple of years will be ubiquitous. Everyone will have true passwordless security. But you know, the past few years, uh, we've seen enterprises who just can't deploy uh, as quickly as others, and it's not always their fault. Uh, so I think it's it's a lot of give-get on the side of the company, on the provider, and it's up to the users to uh, update their OSs, update their apps, and, you know, you got you to gotta weather that storm. Right. This might be going a little bit deep into the weeds, but who actually is the buyer for the enterprise for your product? And once they choose to implement Hyper, what do they have to do sort of on the back end to actually make it work? So we see a lot of uh, business leaders deploying and adopting Hyper, the head of retail banking or the head of payments or, uh, you know, business leaders who typically don't look at security products, look at Hyper because it helps them solve a business need, uh, which is enhancing the customer experience, eliminating fraud, which leads to a better bottom line, accelerating transaction speeds and getting rid of the credential reuse and stuffing problem, um, which is shared across the line of businesses. It's not just a CISO problem. Uh, then, of course, there are the CIO and, and CISO personas who have hyper at the top of their shopping list. And it's great to see in this sale, it's great to see the infosec teams and the businesses, the lines of business interacting and collaborating together. You sometimes don't see that. And actually, you often don't see that. And often you might see a adversarial relationship between the two. Uh, but I like that in this space and with what we're doing, uh, you get to see them work hand in hand. They have the same goal. And they really want to deploy the product. So that accelerates adoption. Right. And what do they need to do to actually implement 
what you're offering? So we've made Hyper as easy to deploy as possible. Um, and I, I've, you know, I'm really proud of the work our engineering teams have done. We've seen major global 2000 enterprises integrate Hyper into their Android and iOS mobile apps uh, within a matter of two to three days which is fantastic. The SDK is very easy for them to integrate. It's very easy for them to adopt. Rollout takes time. Uh, so you've got companies who uh, do extensive QA, they do extensive pen testing, they do extensive UAT and um, even user experience studies. Um, and in some cases, you know, like I said, it could take them a quarter to see full user adoption. Uh, in other cases, up to a year. Uh, but once that technology is integrated and once that hyper server is deployed, it's pretty much green light from there. It used to be much more, I think, effort for a company to work with an enterprise, you know, before the cloud and before, you know, a lot of the trends we saw today. But I think if you have the right tools in place and if you've done your SDK and your documentation right, there's no reason they shouldn't be able to get up and running in days, if not weeks. Awesome. So I have a few questions I like to ask everybody. So what is one controversial opinion you have that's really strongly held? The password is not dying. Okay. So that's really, um, it's weird hearing that from someone whose you know, whole vision and uh, the company's mission and the whole team's mission is to uh, you know, kill the password. But I want people to um, understand that the password is not inherently problematic. It's not that the password is a bad way of authenticating. It's that centralized passwords have led us to this credential reuse problem that we have today. It's the way we've been storing passwords. And, you know, the password will remain, in my view, a type of authentication. A PIN will remain a method of authentication for a very long time because once it's decentralized and stored on your phone, it's actually quite secure. And I think that, um, you know, when you hear people in the media saying, password's dying, it's on its way out, it's just a little bit short-sighted. You have to admit that once the better architecture is put in place, you can actually use the password. It's just not as fun as a biometric. <laughs> right. I'm curious if you have sort of best practices for consumers that are top of mind for, you know, how they can protect themselves. Uh, I mean, once you give a password that's centrally stored to someone like an Equifax, you know, there's not much you can do if it gets breached. But to protect yourself on the consumer side, what what can people do um, to make sure that if their credentials are stolen, that they can limit their exposure? I, I don't want to take a cynical view on this, but I just don't think that telling consumers top five steps you can, you know, or or ways you can stop, uh, you know, breaches is is effective. I get asked these questions a lot and we see these articles all over the web and, you know, you, you just have to realize that the average consumer will not remember to update, change their passwords regularly. It's hard enough forcing them when they work for a company to do that. How do you know they're not writing them down? How do you know they're not in the sticky note on their desktop or in an email? You don't. And it's human nature to make these mistakes and it's human nature to reuse these passwords. And I also don't think it's fair to a lot of companies call consumers uh, lazy or uh, just ignorant about security practices. It's not their job to uh, worry about this stuff. For example, do you look at your apartment key or your house key and sit there and stare at it and think, is this complex enough? <laughs> no, you don't. You don't go to the lockmaker and ask them, will this be breached? You just use it. You trust the lockmaker. I think we should be telling enterprises best practices and we need to get the enterprises working on this problem uh, so that the consumers no longer have to worry about it. 
Right. Um, I'm one of those people that has a password manager, but where I'm curious what you think of that. Like, what do you think of password managers? Well, look, the the best you can do right now is use a strong password manager that generates uh, long alphanumeric passwords. I think, uh, you know, not to pick any specific vendors, but I think uh, a few have done a great job of keeping their reputation and keeping their security at a place where enterprises actually adopt them internally. Uh, unfortunately, maybe unfortunately for them, uh, but fortunately for the space as a whole, um, there's not going to be a need for those password managers when all these services are passwordless. Uh, so I think it's just going to be a matter of time. How will the future be different if Hyper becomes ubiquitous? You know, whether it's Hyper or some other solution that does get us to a true passwordless world and a true passwordless state, um, I believe that we'll see a lot more attacks on the devices. And we're already starting to see hackers target your mobile device. Uh, so today's headlines are Equifax was breached or LinkedIn was breached, right? And their company's getting breached. I think five years from now, these headlines will be replaced with, you know, such and such model of a phone has been breached or uh, this new malware is targeting this iOS or Android device. And we'll see a lot of device side attacks appearing in the headlines. And, uh, you know, it's up to us to be ready for it. And I think that the industry is preparing for that. So if you weren't working on this problem and if you weren't running Hyper, is there some other technology that you're excited about or bullish on or something else that you'd be working on? AI. Okay. Um, well, I've watched The Matrix way too many times. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I would love to get into that field. And, you know, it's something that uh, uh, I know a lot of great work is being done there today. Uh, I like watching from the sidelines. I like, you know, staying up to speed on what's going on. I have an optimistic view on AI. And uh, I think it's the next natural step if if we achieve artificial general intelligence or ASI, which you know, some might call the super intelligence or the singularity. I think it, it'd be really cool and I have an optimistic view on it. But, you know, again, watch The Terminator and The Matrix uh, enough times. And, uh, you know, I, I just want to keep an uh, open mind, but, you know, stay uh, stay concerned um, w- without getting too negative. Uh, I would love to get involved in that space at some point. Well, it's a pretty broad field. Is there Are there specific applications that you're interested in? I would love to see air travel give up more control to uh, AI. You know, I <laughs> fly a lot and I'm fascinated by just how amazing these pilots are. And, you know, the takeoff and the landing, which I believe is still manual most of the time. Am I wrong on that? I think that most of the flight is uh, pretty much, you know, the autopilot. But the landing and takeoff is still human. The human element is very much involved. I would love to see uh, a point where AI has taken over that because I think that's a really interesting thing that if if the AI can do that with 100% success rate, Um, I think it'd make a lot more people comfortable about flying. Cool. Sounds great. Well, thank you, George, for being on the podcast. Thanks, Ryan, for having me. And thank you for listening to What's Next. We're releasing a new episode every other week, so be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Just search for What's Next on your app of choice or go to samsungnext.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Lawler. This episode of What's Next was produced by Rachel King and Laura Flynn with Claire Mullen as sound engineer for Pod People. If you have questions or suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. Get in touch on Twitter at Samsung Next 
or send us an email at podcast at samsungnext.com. Until next time.